So yeah, I'm Tim Gillespie. I'm the lead pastor here at Crosswalk Church in Redlands and kind of the global teaching pastor for our network of churches. And um, one thing, they mentioned that we have our CW20 coming up. We've got our anniversary coming up. If you've been at the church for a while, and I mean a while, like uh, years, and you may have like some digital media from early on. We're trying to compile a lot of that and come up with some really fun digital things that we can do. So again, if you have a a phone you haven't used in 15 years and sitting in a drawer somewhere and you can find the right cable to plug it in, um, charge it up and see if there's anything there from church back in the day because we really want to kind of highlight the 20-year evolution of Crosswalk Church, which has been pretty incredible. So thank you for that, as well as the retreat that's happening on October 22. It'll be over in Ontario, and it's going to be an amazing time for the women in this church. So we'd love to have you come and connect with our, um, our women's network that's happening October 22. So I know they just said that, but... I thought I'd say it again because my wife is involved and I want to make sure that's supported well. Um, Also, lastly, we are in a series called Unbroken and we're talking about mental health and faith. And today we're thinking about the mental health of Jesus. And I wonder if you've ever thought about the mental health of Jesus. And I'm not really sure that I have a great deal. And most don't. I think. We have a tendency to say that Jesus was perfect. When we say that word perfect, there are some assumptions that we make with that word perfect, right? And it's the idea that Jesus, A, never changes, and we understand that about God never changes. But the problematic issue with the word perfect is that really it means that that Jesus or God, however you want to think about it, is locked in and has no ability to really move and experience things. Now, the difference we have with Jesus than perhaps another member of the Godhead is that Jesus was fully divine, as we understand, but also fully human. So there's no reason to think that he wouldn't experience the full range of emotions and some of the issues that many of us have dealt with before. And as we know from last week, we know that Jesus is a Savior who does not absent himself but understands what it is is that we've gone through because he has gone through it as well. So we see that actually Jesus was pretty good at guarding his mental health. Um, there were times when he would step away. He was, it seems like he might have been an introvert in some ways because after a big moment in time and a big expulsion of energy, um, like, you know, preaching the Sermon on the Mount, he would then go take some time away and refill and refuel the way that he needed to. So he was someone that seems to care a little bit about how he was doing and functioning. Um, but I don't know. I think, I think that because Jesus didn't sin, sometimes we think that Jesus didn't struggle. But we know that's not true because the Bible is really explicit in some of the things that Jesus has felt, had felt over the years. Frustration, certainly. Anxiety, the need for space, as I just mentioned. We see that he had anger and deep empathy as well. And I know when we say anger, people are like, hey, be careful, be careful. It was righteous anger, and you can be righteously angry. But yes, he was still angry. Um, You don't just run around throwing tables over unless you're a little annoyed at something, right? I mean, I don't know what you do in your house, but uh, it needs needs to be a little something, right? And the temptations were particularly difficult for Jesus, when it, um, when it comes to what he was struggling with. And we have a tendency to kind of depersonalize this, um, this engagement that Jesus was involved in. Um, it happens quickly, and sure, he was weak physically, but he actually handles these temptations so easily, it seems. However, um, there's a few assumptions that we have a tendency to make as we step into this story. 
and these few assumptions kind of shade the way that we thought about it. The first one we simply think is that it wasn't all that bad, right? 40 days fasting in the desert. And for some reason we say that and we're like, yeah, that's not a big deal. Most of you can't fast between breakfast and lunch. You know that, right? Like you get a little antsy if you come to the noon service and you don't get a chance to go eat by one o'clock. Like, 40 days of that. And now there's different scholars think different things. Some say, well, he wasn't really fasting from everything. He was just fasting from certain things. Um, and then others say, no, he was fasting from pretty much everything. He's, we know this, he was in the desert. And we know that he was alone. He was exposed to the elements probably. Um, and after 40 days, even if, it was a, even if that was a symbolic amount of time, which is sometimes used in the Old Testament as kind of a symbolic time, it's not necessarily 40 days and 40 nights, it's just a really long time. Um, even if it was not particularly 40 days and 40 nights in the New Testament, it still was a significant amount of time where he was weakened. And scripture is really explicit. In the Lucan account, it says he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and he was hungry which may be the most obvious statement in all of Scripture, right? But it's true. So, so it was probably a lot harder than we think, certainly. It wasn't intermittent fasting. It was like for real fasting for a significant amount of time. The second thing that we have, to, we have a tendency to think of is not just his state was not so bad, but that the temptations were not too difficult. Here's something we have to understand about temptations, and I've said this many times before. You've heard me say this. You are not tempted by that which is not tempting to you. That's the most obvious statement I've ever made from this pulpit. But you understand that, right? Certain things are not tempting to you. So when these temptations came, they wouldn't be the same temptations that would be tempting to you. But because Jesus had a different kind of agency than we have in times, um, obviously this was pretty significant. They were significant. They were difficult because they spoke to his weakest thoughts and pushed his mental state further than he was probably comfortable with. The other thing we have a tendency to think about is that they happen in quick succession. When we read this story, what we hear is, at least this is the way I, I assumed it, maybe because you learn it when you're little and you just sort of engage in the story the way you learn about it when you're, when you're small and you're first presented with it. It's he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and then he went through the temptations and they were pretty quick. Like this happened and then this happened and then this happened. The only thing is scripture doesn't really say that. So we've got to jump in and find out what really happened. So let's take a look at this story without those particular assumptions. Let's get real human about the way we think about what just happened. So you have um, Jesus who has just been baptized. And it says this in Luke 4 verse 1. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. A couple of notes here. Jesus had just been baptized and then he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Does this mean that the Holy Spirit was leading Jesus into that temptation, right? But it also says he wasn't just led by the Spirit, he was full of the Holy Spirit. So there was a pretty strong connection that Jesus now has with the Holy Spirit. And by the way, at his baptism, you know that that's the time in the New Testament that we see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all in the same place. Only time we see it in the New Testament right? Father, Son, and Spirit right there made clear and plain, which is beautiful. So he's full of the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit, for some reason, prompts him to go into the desert. Um, listen, the reason why that is the case, and we see this not only with Jesus, but we see it with other biblical characters that are called, is that when God calls someone, there's a time of preparation. Paul is a perfect example of this, 
right? Paul was called into the work of the gospel ministry, and then he spent years in Antioch learning about how he was going to engage in his ministry and being prepared, right? There's always a time of preparation. When, when I got called into, um, into ministry, I had a choice. I could either go and work at a church in Southern California Conference and become the youth pastor immediately, or I could go to seminary and spend some time in preparation. Now, I knew that I needed time to prepare to become a pastor. I couldn't just step into it. I was not mentally ready, emotionally ready, and probably not theologically ready to step into that space, even though it would have been great and I would have made a paycheck as opposed to what they paid me when I went to seminary, which was (laughs) barely enough for groceries. Um, So I took some time. This is a pretty common pattern. So Jesus is there in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Now we need to hold on to that piece, right? So that means that this temptation didn't just happen at the end of 40 days when he was at his weakest physically. It happened over the course of 40 days, Jesus being engaged in this temptation with the devil. The Greek indicates that it's throughout the entire time that he was being tempted. Different attacks at different times, for different reasons, and probably Jesus' different mental states of what was going on. So that's the setup, and we understand that this is a, a short pericope that really takes place over a significant amount of time, those 40 days. Then the devil said to him, I'm reading from verse 3 now, then the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. Now, the first temptation was a physical temptation. He was hungry, so this temptation made some sense. But it's not just physical. One of the things that we have to remember when we talk about temptation is that we have to understand that all temptations are predicated on lies. This is not just true of the devil's temptation, but often our minds minds struggle with the truth. Right? I grew up in a home where my sister... And this is not something that she hasn't shared before. My sister was anorexic and bulimic. And she had a struggle within her own mind. It would lie to her when she would look in the mirror. And it was pretty significant. Right? It's not simply that our minds cannot be trusted. But there are times that we can't see or feel things correctly. Now, there's lots of reasons for this. There's, there's, there's you know neurological, chemical reasons where some of this happens. And sometimes it's because there's so many voices that we're supposed to be listening to. And this is particularly true for young people because they grow up listening and being real impressionable to the voices in their lives. And unfortunately, there's a lot of voices from a lot of different directions telling them to be a lot of different things. We're bombarded by advertising, by opinions, by culture, both healthy and unhealthy culture, by social media, by family even, and more. There's so many voices that it's difficult to hear the healthy ones at times. Can you imagine being a teenager growing up with social media and what that's telling you? That's shocking. Algorithms are now telling you what truth is. That's shocking to me. And, and we all know that negative feedback has a tendency to stick a little more than positive feedback. I'll preach a sermon and it'll go pretty well, I feel like. And, and I'll, I'll get a lot of people saying, oh, pastor, really appreciated that sermon. How did you know? Thanks so much. That was a sacred echo happening. And then I'll get one person, one person who'll be like, nah, 
I don't think that was right. And, da, 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 da. and that's the one I'm going to take home. Always, because negative opinions, negative feedback sticks in a different way than positive feedback does. So as we grow up with all these voices, sometimes we get a little bit confused about the truth about who we are. Now the truth about who we are comes to us from Genesis 1, 26 and 27. In the image of God, let us make man. Let us make him in our likeness. So that means that every single person on this planet, every single person, I'd like to say it again to make sure that you hear this. Every single person is made in the image of God, right? That is our underlying foundational truth about who we are. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. God knew who you were in the womb and he cares so deeply about you as to make you be somewhat like him in his image, right? That is, what, that is the truth of who we are. But it's sometimes hard to hear that in a world with so many voices and so many opinions. So this first temptation that we see was a lie about what will make things better in Jesus's life at the moment. The temptation was that there was an easy fix to the problems that Jesus was facing. Make some bread and it'll all be better. Right? There's a lot more going on in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights than Jesus just being hungry. There was preparation. He had to be dealing with an incredible amount of anxiety thinking about the job that he had ahead of him. Right? We have anxiety when we start a new job. We have anxiety when we don't even start a new job. Sometimes we have overwhelming anxiety when we're just going to a new church or stepping into a new place or going to a new restaurant that we hope is good. Jesus has, you know, the task of saving the world. Do you think he was dealing with some anxiety about the weight of that task? Absolutely. Why wouldn't he be? And so this lie is that there's a simple fix to your issues. All you need to do is change your perspective, change your behavior, smile and be cheery. That will end this time of emptiness for you. How many of us that have gone through depression have someone in our life, well-meaning, of course, say, listen, it's just a choice. Just be happy. I've never met a depressed person who was like, no, I chose depression. That's what I really wanted. Right? Nobody chooses that. Obviously, it's more than just a choice. There's something going on that has to be dealt with. And this lie is that if you make bread, all your problems are going to go away. How easy will it be if you just lie to yourself too? One pill, one right conversation, one simple process, and everything's going to be okay. Many people going through mental health issues get this kind of advice. It is not helpful no matter how well-meaning you're trying to be. Right? The problem is with this lie, that there is a simple fix to your issues. When it doesn't work, the lie that you begin to tell yourself in this process is that there is no fix to your issues. Well, if everybody around me is telling me that all I need to do is smile and cheer up, and that's clearly not working, maybe there's actually no help to my issues at all. Maybe I can't get fixed. When you hear that first bit of advice, it leads to negative thinking, which is that didn't work, so nothing will. You know what they tell counselors when they're training them? You may not connect with every single person that comes into your, your office, right? It may not be a fit. But just make sure you don't, you're not so bad at what you're doing that that person will never go get counseling again. 
right? Recognize when it's not working and say, hey, therapy is still a good thing. Go somewhere else because this isn't working, right? So the first lie is that there's a simple fix for everything. Make bread and all this will get better leads to the second lie, which is that there's no fix for your issues at all. So Jesus has to deal with this first lie of there's a simple fix. And he says, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. So Jesus quotes the scriptures, which, you know, that is what we're told to memorize in order to fight temptations. However, there's more going on than Jesus just quoting scripture and making Satan shut up. Right? So why did Jesus respond the way that he did? It's not just to use scripture. And listen, I'm a fan of, of memorizing scripture. I actually think it's a good thing to do. Right? I'm not, but it's not, it's not just so you have a loaded gun worth of memory verses to fight off the devil. Because that's a losing proposition. You don't know scripture as well as he does. And you're not as good at twisting it. And this is why it's fascinating to me when, when people get in theological arguments and they just fight with scriptures back and forth because that's not really good hermeneutic. It's not really good theology. It's, it's pointing and shooting to make a case and that's not really what Jesus was doing. You should absolutely memorize scripture, but you should absolutely memorize a lot of scripture, not one little thing to hold on to or to use against someone else, right? Jesus understood that there is no simple fix but a myriad of ways to understand his state and his recovery. Food would be good, but not a simple fix. So when he says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that falls from the mouth of God, understand there are a lot of words that approach every single issue in a myriad and a multiplicity of different ways. So we need to be working toward a multi-pronged approach to our own mental health, right? So for instance, let's say we're dealing with depression. Something that would be good would be to get your eating right. And listen, I've been to health conferences with those people who believe that if you just eat right, you'll never ever be sick. And by the way, I was at a health conference and was sick one time. And they were, there was a lot of judgment of like, hmm, if you just got healthy with the health message, you'd never be sick. I'm like, everybody gets sick. And the guy next to me on the plane was definitely sick. And now I'm sick. So I'm not sure it's a healthy eating thing. Should you eat healthfully? Yes, it's going to help your depression. Your physicality is absolutely going to help the way that your mental state um, functions. However, it's not the only fix. So that and good therapy and good community and maybe even, you know, the, the right kind of medicine that's going to help you get where you need to go. We always have to have a multi-pronged approach. And that's what Jesus is saying. That's not going to fix the problem, Satan. Me just doing this, it's not enough. I need, to, I need to lean into every word that comes from God. And God talks about lots of different things. So, as you know, in Scripture, the very next text begins the very next temptation. But as we made the argument before, this is something that took place over 40 days. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment in time. So we're not sure if this was a vision, if it was an epiphany, or if he was just in a really high spot, right? Satan says this, I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. There's so many different lies happening right here. 
I will give you. If, if Satan was in charge, it was temporary rule at best, right? Luke knew Jesus would rule. And this is what's interesting. In this particular text, Luke knew, the writer knew Jesus was going to rule, but the question was, how? And this was playing on Jesus's anxiety, right? This was a shortcut. By telling Jesus he would fulfill his purpose more easily, he showed Jesus a clear path to success. Just cut these corners, right? And, and you'll get everything you want that you have been called to do. Let me make it easier for you. So again, what was Jesus anxious about? You know, success, the struggle he was about to go into, his competency, his ability to draw followers. Well, I mean, what are you anxious about in your job and your life, your calling, your family? Anxiety has very little boundaries. If we're anxious about one thing, we have a tendency to be anxious about lots of things. And Jesus was about to embark on a pretty significant task. Think about the things that you are anxious about in your life and how attractive would a shortcut be for you, right? I want to lose weight, but, you know, I'd like a healthy shortcut. I'd like to know more, but I'd really rather not read. I'd like to be healthy mentally, but doing the hard work of therapy seems tough. There's so many things that we stress about that we would love to have a quick shortcut to. And Satan says, I will give it all to you if you will worship me. This wasn't just about the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before you. This was actually about, I know where you're going. You're going to be king of this world. So why don't I just accelerate this process for you so you don't have to go through all the things that you know you're about to go through? Listen, when I was in my doctoral program and I had to defend my, defend my thesis, if someone would have given me a shortcut, yeah, I would have taken it. Sure, I don't have to do that. I don't have to sit with these professors who know everything and actually read my dissertation, probably even better than I did at times. That would have been great. But see, what happens here is that Jesus focuses not on what is easiest, but on what is healthiest, right? Jesus replies, again quoting scripture, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Deuteronomy 6.13. This is Jesus recognizing that shortcuts might get him where he is going, but his problems won't stop being his problems. And the tyranny of Satan would be even more present if he took this shortcut. He would have been giving authority to the lies. So rather than give authority to the lies of Satan, he trusts God. You see, here's the problem. When we give authority to the lies in our life, we submit to them as if they're true. If Satan had the power to bestow this on Jesus, then he would have had authority over Jesus. And Jesus reminded him the truth that he sought was in God and in serving him. And it was not an easier path to health, but it was a healthier journey for him to take. Because what Jesus understood about God is the same thing we talked about last week. Jesus understood that he was heard, that he was understood, and that he was loved, that God was not going away. The underlying truth is that God stays, that we're made in his image, that we're his children. But these truths don't stop the struggle. 
The good news is that they are with us in the struggle. So he says to Satan, your shortcuts are not better than trusting God. I'm not going to do that. So then we see in the midst of the story, the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. Listen, it can be a temptation, particularly when we are dealing with depression or crippling anxiety, to give up, to give in, and to roll over. But what Satan was doing here was ingenious. And this is something that happens in our lives when we are dealing with our mental health pretty significantly. You see, Satan was setting up a false dichotomy. He was saying, listen, if you jump off, God's either going to save you or God doesn't care about you. And that is black and white thinking. That is the only two options you have, right? And then he undergirds his argument by saying, listen, this is what the scriptures say about this. He will order his angels to protect you and guard you. So he's using scripture against Jesus. He's distorting the, the text. By the way, this text that he's quoting is Psalm 91, 11, and 12, which was not messianic in nature at all. He's taking a part of poetry and he's misquoting it and making it useful in his argument. This is why we don't use scripture this way. This is why we don't abuse scripture by taking a piece out of context and saying this is what it means. We hear this all the time and we need to know our scripture better. Because when Satan says this, it sounds reasonable. He'll order his angels to protect you and guard you. We believe in a good God. Of course, that's what it's going to be. However, it's so out of context, that is not what the author was talking about. And, not that, and that was a challenge to God. And this false dichotomy that Jesus is now having to struggle with in his anxiety is that God either loves you or he doesn't care about you at all. He's either going to fix all this for you or he couldn't care less about you. If you've ever talked to someone who's dealing with anxiety, who's dealing with depression, who's dealing with significant mental health issues, this false dichotomy, especially when it comes to their faith, is often present. If God loved me, why wouldn't, why wouldn't he just heal me of this? So if he doesn't heal me, then he must not love me. This is the false thinking that Satan was setting up for Jesus. Right? It's poor theology. It's poor humanity. And life doesn't work that way. He continues on. He says, and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt a foot on stone. Again, not a good interpretation. Also, was Jesus to force God into a miracle to prove that God is good? And sometimes we do that. If God doesn't show up, then God doesn't care. If God this, then that. We challenge God to function in the way we need God to function or we think we need God to function in our limited understanding. I mean, have you ever tried to force God into an expression of love for you? I mean, I have. I've asked for tons of miracles, right? I've, I've wanted my room to be clean when I was little. I thought that'd be an awesome miracle, Right? I've wanted my taxes to get paid as I'm older, that somebody just flies in and pays my taxes. I don't even know that you can do that, but if God's a God of miracles, he can make it happen. All right, listen, does this mean that God doesn't care because that hasn't happened? 
Satan was playing on the anxiety and depression that Jesus was feeling, giving him this false dichotomy. So Jesus responds by saying this, you must not test the Lord your God. His answer was not simply quoting scripture, but reminding Satan that a false dichotomy is the kind of thinking that tries to force God into our boxes. And that's really anti-God, to make God as small as we need him to be and not let him be the God of the universe. So we get to the end of this. And Luke 4.13 says this, when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. So we talk about Jesus dealing with the temptations in this particular chapter of Luke. And because we are not, because the rest of his life is not set up as temptations and him thwarting temptations, it's easy to think that he didn't struggle with this stuff anymore. But we see again and again throughout Jesus' life, he needs to take time because he needs to get his head right. He's given too much away and he needs to be filled up. Jesus is guarding his mental health again and again through scripture. He's, he's taking people on and then taking a step back. We have to understand that temptation is not a one and done proposition. It also means that our mental health journey is not a simple one problem, one fixed proposition. We all will struggle with temptation. And paired with our weaknesses, we must be vigilant and on guard. But that's not just having the right scriptures when Satan shows up. It's understanding how we're feeling. It's understanding what we're susceptible to. It's understanding when those opinions are becoming too loud and I need to step away from them. It's understanding when I'm in a situation that is not healthy for me mentally and it's time for me to step away and take some time for myself. The good news is this. We don't take this journey alone. This story, along with so many others, tells us that Christ is with us. And when we expand that, we understand that community is with us. And a willingness to seek professional help means that we have the knowledge of all the previous generations and all the study that they've done on mental health issues with us as well. You see, these were particularly difficult because Jesus was alone in the desert. But when you go through your temptations in life, which were clear, will happen and often will happen when you are at your weakest or most vulnerable points, know this, you are not alone. You don't have to step through these trials and tribulations by yourself because God is with you. The community where you worship is with you. I hope that your family is with you. There's a whole professional community that's willing to walk you through these struggles in a multi-pronged approach to help set you up to be healthier so that when Satan comes, and he will, and those temptations will, you know, push on us and threaten to weaken us or break us, we can look at what Jesus did and realize he didn't take shortcuts. He understood the ongoing nature of what he was going to have to deal with. And he knew that God would be with him and never leave him. And that he wasn't willing to buy into a false dichotomy 
that says God either loves you or couldn't care about you at all. It's much more difficult than that. But we do know this, God does love you through all of the way we struggle. So as we pray today, and as we sing this final worship song, I want you to know that you're not alone, but that you will go through temptations and they will hit when you're at your worst, you're at your weakest, at your most vulnerable. But that doesn't stop the fact that God loves you and it doesn't change the fact that you're a child of God. Let's bow our heads. Lord of grace, Jesus, I just want to thank you the way you walked through those temptations is not just a model for us to try and pair it in our lives, but it's also this incredible trust that you gave to God, leaning into his scripture and the words that were promises about who he is and what he does. So Lord, be with us as we go through our struggles. Be with us as we go through our temptations. So that not just that we can come out the other side unscathed, but that we can learn and grow and know how to deal with the next step that will ultimately be well, difficult as well because Satan's pretty good at what he does. And Lord, help us to recognize the communities that we are actually in, that care about us, that seek what is best for us, and that want to hold us up through all of this. In your name I pray, amen. Stand and worship with us one more time.